Welcome to How Did I Get Here, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the careers of working professionals to learn about their journey so far, career joys and struggles, and advice for people considering the same path as them. My name is Erica Lipton, and this season we are talking to Protestant pastors and asking them the question, how did they get here? Uh, so I'm Andre Price. I'm the senior pastor at Mount Olivet Tabernacle Baptist Church in West Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, also a fifth-year PhD student at Villanova University. So I split my time between uh, the church and the academy. And then you also teach some classes at Eastern, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm an adjunct uh, professor here at Eastern, and I've also done some teaching in the at the undergraduate level, too. That's a, a lot. Yeah, it's probably too much, actually. <laughs> How long have you been at uh, Mount Tabernacle? So uh, so I first came to Mount Olivet wow. in 2008 uh, as a seminary intern doing my TFE. Uh, so I, I, at the time, uh, I was looking for a church. Uh, I thought that I was going to go to Epiphany Fellowship, which is... Uh, more of a hip-hop oriented church up in North Philly right off of Temple's campus. Yeah, North uh, and 15th, yep. right? Uh, I was going there and uh, it just didn't work out and I ended up running into Dr. Delacon in the uh, in the hallway of the seminary when it was on City Line in Lancaster and he invited me to a conference in Delaware um, and uh, on the way to that conference he rode in the car with me and we just got to talking about church and theology and he needed help at the church and invited me to to come on board and I've been there in some capacity ever since that was yeah that was like March of 2008 um, so I did my three years of TFE there um, stayed on for another two years after I graduated uh, then I went back to Jersey and went back to my home church for a couple of years um, and then when Dr. Delacon got the call to pastor church in Ohio, he asked if I would take over for him in Philadelphia. And so I've been there. Uh, so I first came back the second Sunday in November of 2015. Uh, but actually, a funny story. So my the anniversary of my installation was this past Friday. Um, and so yesterday, Congrats. thank you, uh, but I, I didn't know it, and so yesterday in church, uh, everybody, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, and I'm like, who are you, who are you talking to? They're like, today's your anniversary. I was like, oh, news to me. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I've been there, uh, so I guess officially a senior pastor, five years, uh, and I guess, well, officially four years, I guess I'm officially five years. Awesome. Um, but you've been with the church for a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I'm maybe assuming, but I don't think most people dream of being a pastor when they're a kid. So did you have, like, what, when you were a little kid, what did you say you wanted to be when you grew up? So that's always a very yeah. weird uh, kind of story. So uh, I, when, people, when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, uh, I would actually tell them I wanted to be a pastor. So we're talking like around really? the age of six, yeah. Uh, I'm embarrassed to tell the story. Uh, when, awesome. so when I was a kid, like I would used to tie like a beach towel around my neck, like it was a preacher's robe, and stand in the mirror like I was preaching. Um, 
And so from a very early age, I wanted to be uh, a preacher. And as I got older, I guess as most teenagers do, I was like, yeah, there's no way you're going to be a preacher. So then uh, I thought I was going to get into computers and be a computer repair person. Um, and turns out I'm not really computer savvy. Uh, I can do the, the basic things, but I, I, could, couldn't, I can't build a computer, can't really fix a computer depending on what it is. Um, and so I guess that was around my junior year of high school. Uh, it's very cliche. I guess the Lord just started working on me in some very interesting ways and I started thinking more about uh, what I was going to do with my future. Um, and uh, one day in the guidance counselor's office there was a guy there from Virginia Union University and so I asked him do you guys have a major in like religion or theology and they did um, and so I was like oh well you know I can I can go uh, you know go study there uh, and my I was a terrible student like high school about me was all about uh, I went to I went to school so that I could play basketball so I could play sports but I uh, and I played basketball uh, but I never had the uh, growth spurt right to uh, for anybody to be looking at me uh, seriously for like Division one basketball um, so you know not not being able to do sports that kind of started you know getting me to think about you know what are you gonna do with the rest of your life and where are you gonna go to school what are you gonna do did you um, grow up in Virginia area? Or? No, no. So I, I grew up in a town called Piscataway, New Jersey. Uh, yep. So central Jersey um, area. Uh, never intended to be or live in Pennsylvania or in the Philadelphia area. I'm not an Eagles fan at all. Blasphemy. Get uh, off my podcast. <laughs> uh, but you guys won yesterday. So. Yeah, we did. Um, uh, and so I thought I was going to Virginia Union to study theology, um, and one day I had a conversation with my pastor, and he asked me, what, uh, what college are you going to? And I told him Virginia Union, and he, he says, such my pastor, uh, he says, I don't like that school for you. And he says, uh, call the president at Eastern, and he gave me his number. Um, and so I called, and I came in for an interview, and this is after having made the deposit and everything at Virginia Union, came here for an interview. Um, talked to uh, the vice president who was Leonard Jameson at the time and long story short ended up getting accepted um, so I came to Eastern uh, four years majoring in theology uh, so Dr. Boyer and Dr. Fleck uh, his office over there were uh, my teachers and then uh, after Eastern uh, wanted to go to Princeton um, following the footsteps of my pastor, didn't get accepted to Princeton. Were you, like, right out of undergrad? Yep, you were so, yep. so I graduated from Eastern in 2007, uh, and so in that, that fall, fall of 2007, uh, I was in seminary, um, and so I got accepted to uh, Palmer, did three, finished Palmer in three years, um, and then was at Mount Olivet for a few years, so uh, Eastern and Palmer had been, had been home, really. So I want to rewind a little bit to when you were like six or seven with your mm -hmm. towel as a pastor. So obviously you grew up in the church, right? Because you knew what the pastor mm -hmm. was, you know. Um, is there anything you could like pinpoint in your like child's head of like what kind of drove that when you were a kid? Yeah, so I grew up, uh, I guess I start here. So 
my my relationship I, I describe my relationship to church as a kid is is somewhat strange um, my aunt was uh, a minister at my church and if it wasn't for my aunt I can't really say that I would have uh, a church background uh, she used to uh, so like every Friday my family would go out to eat out to like restaurants to eat dinner and so she would pick me up and take me to church and our church at the time had this uh thing that we call harambe house and this was the friday night was kind of the night that the choirs rehearsed the young people would meet so there was there was all kinds of activities for for young people and this is also probably on like the tail end of like the crack epidemic too so uh our church was like really serious about like creating space for uh, young people and teenagers to come a kind of safe environment but also a, a saved environment for me it was a place to hang out with my friends but we were also like at choir rehearsal and all these things so that's uh, how I got introduced to church and so on Sundays we started going to church and you know uh, while I wasn't always paying attention I guess I would I, I picked up on things but I've also kind of been like uh, I'm an introvert so uh, I'm also uh, as you described, right, really nerdy and always kind of in my head and thinking about things and thinking about like deeper questions about the meaning of life, why are we here, you know, what is our purpose, those kinds of things. Um, and so uh, kind of that influence at an early age uh, kind of got me introduced to church, seeing my, my pastor. I grew up uh, in a very large church, uh, in the kind of mega church. Uh, uh, kind of trend, right? So I grew up in a church that uh, was about 6,000 people. Uh, we were on television before that was really a thing. That's a big church. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I was just always kind of around that. Um, and it always just kind of resonated with me. You know, outside of sports and maybe church, like I was never never good with my hands, couldn't build anything, uh, you know, like I said, I thought I was going to get into computers, but that really wasn't, wasn't it, um, but so the, the life of the, the mind and, uh, spirituality and theology was just always something that, uh, that I was interested in, uh, and in high school, like, you know, we didn't have philosophy, we certainly didn't have theology, I went to a public school, and so, um, you know, church was kind of the the place, or, or you know, the Bible was always kind of the place in which, uh, you know, I could entertain some of those questions. And I guess the other thing too is like, when I was a kid, my mom got me, um, she got me like a pack of cassette tapes that were like Bible stories. And so when I went to bed, uh, it was either the TV or it was playing these tapes. Um, and so I would always go to sleep listening to, to Bible stories. Uh, when I was a kid, my mom, uh, I had like a picture Bible. And so, you know, rather than, I don't know the stories that people read to their kids, but like she would read these, these stories to me. Um, and so it was through my mom and I guess also my dad. Uh, so my, I have a, my dad's brother, uh, was a real big Jesus guy back in the day he's a pastor now two of my dad's brothers are, are pastors um 
and so my dad's my dad's family was probably more more religious um but kind of that influence between my mom and you know reading these stories these tapes my aunt uh and my dad was kind of uh how i got introduced to jesus and the the church and that probably had a well it did have a profound uh impact on me as growing up so almost like you had this structure and then when you started thinking about what you wanted to do and thinking about these questions you were interested in like you had the church as that avenue that you knew you could do that yeah um, so when you went to undergrad, were you like, I want to go to undergrad, go to seminary, become a pastor, or is it kind of more of like an interest that morphed into? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So when I came to, uh, to Eastern as an undergrad, I came, I came see, looking for a few things. So I grew up kind of in this weird, my, even even in terms of my spiritual formation, it's kind of in this in-between space. So uh, my church that I grew up in is American Baptist by denomination. It's a African, historically African-American church. So it's Baptist by denomination, but it's Pentecostal by experience. So I grew up in a Baptist church uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, where... You know, people were speaking in tongues, being slain in the spirit, uh, and at the time, you know, in Baptist churches, well, I don't know if you know this or not, in Baptist churches, that was not uh, a thing. Um, you know, uh, to Pentecostal folk, Baptists were not saved because they didn't uh, have the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Um, and you know, to Pentecostals, Baptist folk were they were heathens, right? They drank, they they did all kinds of wor- worldly things. Um, and so I grew up in this space where we were Baptist by denomination, but Pentecostal by by experience. And so when I came to Eastern, um, I was really looking to get away from that kind of Pentecostal thing. Um, I I at the time uh, I wanted a more Historic, or what I thought at the time was a more acceptable form or expression of, of Christianity, um, one that had deeper historical uh, kind of roots, I guess. Uh, you know, there's a kind of anti-intellectual strain within certain forms of, of Pentecostalism. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted something else. So I, was, I came to Eastern looking to kind of shed that whole Pentecostal word of faith kind of thing. Um, and I was, able, I was able to get that um, here, but I was looking to kind of get away from, from kind of the way in which I was formed. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way to put it. So how do you think your years at seminary and if you want to include undergraduate here at Eastern in that how do you think they formed your um, understanding of your call your theology that you how how do you think they formed into becoming the pastor you are now yeah so when I came to Eastern um, and the faculty at Eastern at the time many of them were not Pastors and didn't really have a whole lot of pastoral experience. They were academics, um, but they they allowed me to explore questions um, that I was interested in. 
um, and they allowed me to do it in a way uh, while I thought I was trying to get away from the tradition that I had come out of, uh, they allowed me to explore questions about that tradition. Um, and in doing that, that kind of, uh, I guess, is how I got interested more in the, in the academic side. Um, and they, they really, my time at Eastern, they really... Um, I guess they just kind of embodied the life of the mind to me and I, I, I fell in love with it um, you know it was kind of like oh I you know I could see myself doing that um, and these these questions are not the kinds of questions that can just be exhausted in a, a four year program right these questions kind of uh, they come. They come from us, but they also shape and inform who we are and how we how we become. And I, I was able to make the connection between like these questions that I was asking and also ministry. And so my time at, at Palmer at seminary allowed me to dive further into those questions, uh, but also again with this kind of focus on ministry um, and so I had mentioned Princeton earlier and so I'm thankful to God that I ended up I ended up at Palmer and not Princeton uh, because Palmer to me what makes Palmer great is this kind of it's not overly academic but it's not just ministry and so it's more uh, in the middle whereas Princeton is more of a kind of academic academically focused um, and so I was able to explore questions around the spirit, around culture, uh, around the black church uh, here at, at Palmer. Um, and the faculty, uh, like at Eastern, the faculty, there were faculty here who were open uh, to doing that. And especially at the time, I was definitely into, like, I guess the major question I was wrestling with was, how do we articulate the gospel in a way that is culturally appropriate but also in a way that's that's biblical um, and so drawing on those Pentecostal roots wanting to explore the spirit and the role that the spirit plays in, in doing that and, and thinking about that um, and so you know I was able to take uh, so it was a funny story so when I was at at Palmer because I had already come in with theology classes um, and a lot of my peers at the time, you know, they did their undergraduate work as business majors and all other kinds of so sociology. I got bored, um, and so I was also able to take independent studies while I was at Palmer um, and kind of do what I wanted to do uh, and not do what everybody else was doing. Um, and so that also uh, shaped me as, as well. Um, and so Palmer just really allowed me to kind of do what I wanted to do. At the time, and, and kind of, uh, yeah. So they they were flexible and allowed me to do what I wanted. So, um, so you come out of Palmer. You're working as a pastor, um, as in a more associate capacity, and now in a lead capacity. Um, what would you say is the best parts of that, and kind of the hardest parts of that? Uh, so I think the best parts and the hardest part of it is the same thing. Um, the best part is you get to work with uh, some really great people in ministry, mm -hmm. some really generous and God-loving and God-fearing people. 
but the worst part of ministry is that you're also working with <laughs> with people. Right? You're working with people who uh, have problems. You're working with people who, if you're in a ministry long enough, they will uh, they'll fight you and oppose what you what you want to do. You know. Um, and so I think, but but ministry is not different than any other profession, right? Where uh, it has its really great moments, and then it has, as uh, Ray Van Leeuwen once said to me, right? Every job has its latrine pit, um, <laughs> and so there's definitely latrine pit latrine pits uh, in in ministry. But I think the the people the people make it worthwhile, um, and it's also the people that will at times make you question your your calling. Why the hell did I even get into this in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're able to, uh, or I'll say it this way, I think the thing that keeps you in that weird kind of space is the fact that in your frailty, uh, the possibility that God would use you to minister to somebody else or to bring healing wholeness to somebody else is the thing that keeps you and, and grounds you in that weird kind of dynamic uh, you know, that they call ministry. So. That's why you say that's what grounds you, you know, when you're struggling, but does that ever, like, stress you out? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it stresses you out, you know. Uh, you will definitely be, be stressed out in ministry, um, but I think I think the thing that in those stressful times is you have to remember you have to remember that you've been called, right? And you have to kind of lean into that, right? And it's not it's not just people who have called you, but it's also God who has called you. Um, and I think along the way that God will give you signs uh, will give you moments of, of grace that remind you that you're not uh, in this alone mm-hmm. um, you know uh, that you're you're on a journey and God will also right God will will show you this or give you these signs right through the very people that you're you're working with oftentimes um, and so part of it is just is just remaining open. Uh, you definitely like have to take care of yourself, which for many pastors is uh, very difficult. It's also very difficult for a lot of academics. Uh, ministry can be it can be isolating at, at times, um, and so uh, I guess what people call self care these days is, is very uh, is very important. Yeah. That's the concept of you know being called and a call is obviously something that almost every single person I've talked to so far has um, you know said in one form or another. So. Could you kind of like break down what does that exactly mean to you when you say you're called to be a pastor? Yeah. Um, so I guess for me, uh, the passage in Jeremiah that people love to quote about, uh, you know, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you or called you a prophet to the to the nations. Um, But I think whether in Jeremiah's case or any other cases like in Scripture, that when people are called to do things for God or to lead God's people, it's oftentimes extremely inconvenient. Uh, Jeremiah didn't want to go. Abraham didn't want to go. And so one of the things that's always been fascinating to me is that, like, 
God, sometimes the very thing that God is calling us to do or to be may not be the thing that we want or the thing that we're very good at. Um, this isn't this isn't really answering your question, but like for me, I'm a, I'm an introvert. I don't like being the center of attention. I do not like public speaking, and all of these things that I do not like, uh, I'm actually somewhat good at and have to do them all for for ministry. Um, and so, to me, there's a part of calling uh, that involves like God calling you beyond or outside of yourself. Uh, for the for the purpose of serving people, mm-hmm. um, and I I think that calling right that it's not limited to just the the church or being a pastor. Um, uh, the other way I, I like to think about it, and this is more of a maybe an academic way of thinking about it, but uh, like to be to be captured by a, a kind of question or to be captured by something that's that's much bigger and larger than you, right? That it has a hold of you uh, and you can't quite name it. Uh, you can't quite totally put your finger on it, but yet you recognize that it's there, that it's active. Uh, it's, it's, it's bigger than you. Um, and it kind of has a hold on you even as you're trying to hold on it, hold hold it right and and understand it um and so like in all of these things that I don't like doing uh when I think about it I I don't I can't imagine myself doing anything else uh Mm. I worked in corporate America for a couple of years and the money was real nice but uh the job sucked I hated it I, I came to hate it um, and I realized, like, I'd rather be working with people. This kind of nine to five, sitting in front of a computer screen in a cubicle, like, this is not living. Mm. Um, and so, like, it, those kinds of experiences just kind of re, reinforced uh, the fact, like, you know, you're supposed to be doing the ministry thing. And then, kind of going back to the people, you know, when I would. Uh, teach or preach or do Bible study and just the, the feedback um, that I would get um, and people would tell me you know how much what I said touched them and I'm like really this really wasn't that profound it wasn't super spiritual uh, but it, again it was just kind of God I think you know kind of saying you know I've, I've, I've called you to this um, you know no matter how much you don't think that you like it Um, Mm. but this is you know I've given you these gifts and this is the platform or the space right in which for you to exercise these these gifts so I hope that answers your question I'm not sure if it does or doesn't yeah I think it does yeah um so being an introverted pastor and I think from my experience pastors are either very introverted or very extroverted like there's not a lot in between um so what's like advice that you would give someone who is introverted but wants to um, pastor? Man, that is a really good question. Um, hmm. I don't know. I have to think about that. Um, I'm trying to think of some of my colleagues who are also uh, extremely introverted. And like, what would I say to them? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. trust God, which isn't that that that's not an adequate answer for me. Uh, it is an answer, though. It's an answer, but I mean, you know, what is if we dig into that? What is it? What does it mean to trust to trust God? Um, I don't know. Most so I'm trying to think of some of my closest friends in in ministry. Um, many of them are introverted um, and if I I think if I were to ask them like what is it that compels you to do this even though you don't like you're not really a people person right and I think that they would come back to the fact of they feel called to this and um, the opportunity or the possibility to be used by God right mm-hmm. kind of trumps these personal kind of uh, inclinations and, and intuitions. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, man, I don't know. I don't dude, I don't have anything more concrete than that. I wish I did. Okay. I wish to God I did. It's okay. Did you think of something? That's a good question. Um, so speaking of advice, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about becoming a pastor? Or what's the best advice you've gotten? Um, I would say read as much as you can. Mm. Um, especially if you're not pastoring now, because uh, there is a time that will come where you won't have the time to do that. Um, I don't... I don't get how... Pastors, and I'm thinking more of the kind of celebrity versions now. I don't, I don't. To me, you cannot pastor in this day and age without reading, right? You you cannot pastor without having some sense of the cultural, theological, and philosophical uh, landscape, especially in in an age when there are so many voices competing for uh, people's minds and and hearts, right? You you. You have to know like what's going on and so right you have to you have to have a much deeper well to draw from than just kind of uh, a text in three points and a, and a close um, you know in ministry you're dealing you're dealing with people oftentimes who um, may commute from the suburbs and who are very well off in your church and then, you know, single mother with three kids who, uh, you know, is having, making ends meet. Um, and so you've got to figure out how to navigate that. You've got to figure out how to navigate and work with people uh, who somebody may be on your staff uh and their spouse hates you just because you're the pastor or because of certain stereotypes that people have about about pastors. Um, so reading, uh, I would say, um, being intentional about creating spaces that are safe, that are not necessarily... Uh, church spaces mm. um, like you need to have you need to have some unsafe friends that you can hang around sometime uh, and not where we're like you're not the pastor right where you're not where you're not on you don't have to perform according to uh, people's expectations 
So reading, safe spaces, and I think I would say be careful of the impulse in, in, in our current context, like this celebrity thing, right? This thing about, especially when people get famous just off of like, uh, Facebook likes or Instagram followers, right? Be be very careful of the celebrity thing, right, and the the popularity thing, um, because you never know, like, what kind of negative stuff that 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 brings uh, brings with ministry, um, and more times than not, and people trying to like chase after that, make a name for themselves, or make a name for their church. Um, it has really harmful, harmful mm-hmm. consequences. Um, so I guess the fourth point will also be then uh, take your time. Mm-hmm. Take your time. Ministry is a, a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, and I'm going to have to follow that last point more, <laughs> more closely. Um, but yeah, that, that would be the advice that I would Um, speaking of reading more, you are in a PhD program currently, right? So could you tell us a little bit more about what that is, what you're studying, why you're doing it? Uh, yeah, so I'm at Villanova. So after I left Palmer, I was like, I'm tired and I need a mm-hmm. break. Um, and so I wanted to focus strictly on, um, more of the ministry side and the academic side. Um, so I was at Mount Olivet for a few years. And so after a few years of taking a break, I decided it's time for me to go back to school. I've got the, I've got the itch again. Um, but I had a tough time getting into a, to a PhD program. I applied to Boston College, Marquette, Fuller, Regent, all I can remember um, I had I had pretty decent grades uh, I had good grades at Palmer I had decent grades at Eastern uh, but the the GREs my GRE scores are terrible terrible uh, I'm not a good test taker um, so long story short couldn't get into a program uh, one of the professors here at Eastern had put me in contact with a friend of his who teaches down at SMU um, at the time, I was working in the registrar for the seminary, uh, so I just left uh, corporate America and took a pay cut to come work in the registrar at, at the seminary. And um, he put me in contact with his friend at SMU, and the guy said, would you consider going back to school? He said, this time doing a master's degree at a university-related school and not a seminary. And I said, I am. Except I don't want to pay for school again. I don't want to. I don't want new loans or anything like that. And he's like, "Fair enough." So uh, I hopped on the internet and was looking for programs, and I found Villanova. Uh, so I was looking for programs that funded master students, which is rare. 
Um, but I stumbled across Villanova, and they give their master's students... Uh, master's or PhD? Master's students. Oh, okay, master's. They give their master's students full tuition, sti- uh, tuition remission and stipend. So I was like, all right, I, I found the place. So I uh, reached out to a couple of professors on faculty who um, shared some of my interests. Uh, and the one guy who's now my uh, one of my advisors, um, he knew my advisor here at Eastern. And he's like, oh, yeah. So we started talking and uh, kind of sharing my interests. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you should really apply. Uh, so I applied, got in. Come to find out, they had just started a PhD program there. Um, they had just, so the year the year that I went there as a master's student was the first year that they started the PhD program. And so, what master's were you going to go for? Uh, what was it? Master of Arts in Theology. Okay. Um, so kind of kind of what I was doing at, at Palmer without the preaching and the practical theology. And so it would have allowed me to study more in terms of uh, Pentecostalism and, and some other things. Um, but they were like, if you do well in the master's program, we'd encourage you to apply for the PhD program. Um, so I did, I applied and got in, accepted into the PhD program as a part of the second cohort at, mm-hmm. at Villanova. Um, and so I've been at Villanova, uh, so a total of six years. So I did one year in the master's program in the fifth year of my PhD program. Um, in terms of my research interests, uh, I'm interested in theological method, uh, or I guess uh, what some people call philosophy of religion, uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the intersection of kind of race, uh, race and religion, or race and theology, um, and that kind of all of that goes back to the kind of question that I had when I was at Palmer about like how do we articulate the gospel in a way that's culturally and biblically uh, biblically appropriate, um, and so Villanova's program uh, tries to emphasize the relationship between theology and culture. Um, which is the way I think theology ought to be done, even though in many contexts it's not done that way. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, so I guess the end game for me in that regard is I wanna have one foot in the church and one foot uh, in the academy. One of the great things about Palmer is they've allowed me to teach in various programs in the seminary since I graduated. So I've really, I started, I started teaching in 2010 in the ESCM and Priscilla Institute. Um, I did pretty decent in Greek when I was a student at Palmer, so I've TA'd for, uh, I've never TA'd for Dr. Watson, but I guess she was on sabbatical one summer or something, so I TA'd for whoever replaced her in Greek. That um, was the hardest class in seminary <laughs> to this point, in my own personal opinion. Greek was rough <laughs> for me. Yeah, it's it was fun at the time. Uh, I don't use it a whole lot, so I've lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if I were to use it, uh, it would take me forever. Um, but yeah, like Dr. Watson says, right? Just trust her and do your homework, and you'll, you'll be all right. It's <laughs> exactly what she says. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Brash, 
uh, would give me an opportunity to kind of guest lecture in his classes. I've TA'd for him a few times uh, for his systematics and his uh, theology and practice of worship. Um, and then from there, those opportunities grew to teaching um, the critical analysis course. Um, I don't think I've ever taught the writing course. Um, and then that kind of mushroomed into teaching some, I guess once the seminary came back on, the, on campus, to teaching some of the undergrad and master's courses every now and again. And I've TA'd for Dr. Della Collins stuff, so uh, working with some of the faculty has kind of also kind of kept me, kept me around. And so yeah, Palmer's just given me a whole lot of uh, opportunities to do things, uh, which I'm extremely grateful for. Yeah. So you, you said you want to have one foot in one and one foot in the other. Mm-hmm. Is, is that balance, like, what's the question I'm trying to ask? Do you think you'd ever want to do one and not the other? Or is that, like, are they, like, yeah. mutually inclusive for you? Um, so I tell people I will, uh, I will be out of pastoring by the time I'm 50. Uh, so I'm 36 now. Um, at this point, it may be well before 50. Um, eventually, I'd like to end like full time in the in the academy. But my like the work that I do in the church makes me unique in the academy because most people are either one or the other. Um, and so the kind of ministry work that I do uh, gives me it gives me an advantage in certain circles um, because I can say like I do the academic thing but I also have like this live context and well to draw from Um, and the problem with a lot of seminaries is that Right, they're so academically focused that they're really not speaking to the people in the pews, right, who I speak to every Sunday and, you know, every day during the week, basically. Um, And so I think that that also gives my work a unique perspective. Um, And so uh, that's one of the reasons why, um, like, I want to do both. But I'm finding out now in doing both that uh, it's very tiresome burning both ends of the candle at the same time. Um, like, for example, I had a mentor who I'm still really close with, um, and this is before I started pastoring, and I had mentioned to him, like, he was asking me, what is the, what is the long game for me? Mm-hmm. And I told him, you know, I want to have one, church, one foot in the church and one in the academy, and he was basically told me, you know, you need to choose one or the other you'll never be able to do to do justice uh, well to either one trying to do both at the at the same time and when he told me I was like yeah he's probably right but I'm hard-headed and I was like I'm gonna try to do it anyway and so I'm at a point now where I'm like yeah he was right uh, there are many days where I feel like um, I don't uh, I don't have the energy for the church or I'm shortchanging myself in terms of writing, publishing, and, and researching. Um, and so it's a, it's a delicate balance. But, uh, but I'm still going to say the end game for me is to have one foot in the church and one, one in the academy. I think, I think the key is finding, 
finding a church that allows you to do that and also finding like a school or an institution that is open to that to that kind of thing so we'll see how it goes so you're sticking with it yeah I'm hard headed in that way hey you know um awesome one more question so could you finish these two sentences Mm -hmm. for me you should be a pastor if blank and you should not be a pastor if blank You should be a pastor. Okay, hold on, let me, let me think okay, about this for a second before. There's no right. I'll start with you shouldn't be a pastor. Okay. You shouldn't be a pastor if your goal or kind of the thing that excites you is uh, the praise of people. Mm-hmm. Um, or again, kind of the whole celebrity thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, just like Jesus, the same people uh, who screamed Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, will be saying, crucify you, crucify you. <laughs> um, but you should be a pastor if you are thick-skinned, uh, but care deeply. Um, you should be a pastor if the possibility of being used by God for something much bigger and beyond yourself uh, is something that uh, excites you. You should be a pastor if you have a love for God's people, for God's church, uh, for the Bible, and for the Christian tradition. Uh, I think those are all good Good qualities and good virtues to have, and anything else, gotta give it to you along the way. I like that. Um, okay, anything else you would like to share? With feel like you haven't said, feel like would be. You're gonna ask the introvert. Is there's more that the introvert wants to share? <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that's that's it. I think you're. Uh, there was that one question you asked me that I didn't. Uh, what would I say to? Uh, oh, introverted pastors. Yeah. How do you um, trust God. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to go with trust God at this point. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the How Did I Get Here podcast.